Hi guys, I'm Rachel. And I'm Jess, and this is Mothering On My Own podcast. Each episode, we'll dive into stories of resilience, triumph, and personal growth shared by women who are mothering on their own. This podcast serves as a reminder that you are not truly alone and there's a community of women who are navigating the highs and lows of this extraordinary journey. Join us as we unpack the many ways of mothering on my own. Welcome everyone to our next episode on mothering on my own. And this one is a very special one because I have one of my best friends, Maddie Visa, who is from Maddie Visa Finance. Now she is a mortgage broker. She's a mom. She's also been a single mom and she's going to tell us all about it. But Maddie is who I've gone through to do my loan as a single mom. And she is just going to give us, you know, a wealth of knowledge and insight that so many of you really did want to hear about. And I know that it's a really kind of daunting process when you're a single mom thinking about the possibility of potentially ever owning a property. So I just thought, let's get Maddie on. Rachel and I kind of, um, you know, reach out to the community. And so many of you wanted to hear and kind of get through these questions. So we'll, um, I guess, pass it straight over to Maddie. I just wanted to jump in and add, obviously, this conversation is extremely general in nature. You know, when it comes to buying a home, there's obviously lots of requirements and eligibility. And in terms of some of these, you know, single parent schemes are really linked to your circumstances, your income, you know, incredibly individual type conversations. So this podcast will be quite general in nature, but so much value, so much information, no matter where you're at, whether you are looking and ready to buy now, or, you know, even someone like myself, who's not quite ready yet, but just looking for those next steps in how to get to that stage. If you are a little bit more interested, we will pop a link in our show notes. So you can actually book in a call with Maddie. She can run you through all of your individual circumstances and you can have a much more clearer conversation. I just really wanted to preface this. We are not financial advisors and I promise you, you know, we don't have all of the the insights in terms of financial advice. So um, I hope you love this. And yeah, if you want more information, you want to book in a call with Maddie, it is free and I highly recommend um, she has helped out a number of single mums already to purchase their home. So enjoy. Tell us about yourself and, and what you do. Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks, girls, for having me. Yeah, I suppose this is very close to my heart because I have been in in the same position before. I've been a single parent and now I'm able to give back and help those single parents, you know, get into their first home or their next home and just to achieve something on their own generally is a really special feeling for me. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I did actually write a little intro spill just because I didn't really want to come across to pull me because it was my decision to leave. And I suppose I would really like to be able to show it from the other other side. You know, it's it can it can be a really good outcome and you can have some fantastic experiences from making that decision. And life isn't all doom and gloom. So in 2017, I did find myself to be a single mum to my daughter Myla, who was just three years old at the time. I I do still remember to this day the sick feeling I felt all, you know, just the unknown, not not knowing how I could afford to live. And it, it does get me up mm-hmm. emotional because it's so long ago now that you kind of forget about it until you sit back and 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 think about it. But yeah, I was I was worried, you know, I didn't want to lose that time with her. I didn't want to share her. But 
I knew that I wanted more. So I, I didn't know how I was going to provide that life for her. I didn't, I wanted to still continue the life that she had. And I knew that my situation wouldn't enable me to do that. Like I said, despite the separation still being my decision, it was really scary and I carried a lot of guilt from making that decision. I was working just two days a week at the time and my career wasn't my priority. My priority at the time was raising Myla and supporting my husband at the time to pursue his career. The easiest decision would have been to stay in the relationship that neither of us were overly satisfied with, but I knew we both deserved more. So... When I found myself to be a single mum, I was in a position of having a really low-paying job two days a week. I had no idea how I was going to afford to live, let alone provide for her. I had great, like, fantastic family support, as you know, Jess. There wasn't an option to move back in with them, however. So, you know, for me, I was worried how I was going to put a roof over our heads. I didn't know the first thing about Centrelink or anything like that. So, yeah, it was, I was at rock bottom. I was barely surviving on minimum income and the Centrelink on top and it just wasn't enough. I was living week to week and there were times where I couldn't make ends meet either. So what I want to say is I know a lot of you listening right now may be in a very similar boat and or about to find yourself in a very similar position. So I just want to remind you that it isn't a permanent feeling that you're feeling right now and you just you won't feel like this forever. So you can achieve great things as a single mum. Most importantly, that feeling of rock bottom unleashed a beast inside <laughs> of me. Jess knows this too well. So I really hope it does for the listeners as well. That rock bottom feeling is what created the fire in my belly to achieve great things. And I made a promise to myself that I would never, ever put myself in a position of having to rely on anyone financially again. Fast forward six years, I am a finance broker. I have my own business. I have four employees. I have two offices, one in South Australia and NT. I service clients all across Australia. And I am actually now in a beautiful relationship where we are equals, totally supported on my journey to be a working mum. And best of all, we're a team, so we do it all together. And recently I was actually part of an entrepreneur program and they they asked me, what what is your why? And I think that rock bottom feeling is my, mm. it loops back to that, that promise that I made myself. So my why now is to create financial security and independence for myself and my daughter. My why is my daughter, to teach her that women can have it all, success, career, children, independence and money without relying on a man. And that's what gets me out of bed every morning. So I, I, I love my job. I love helping people achieve financial goals. But I must say, my soft spot is for single parents and that feeling they feel when we settle that home loan, the journey we go on together to make it happen. It's sometimes one of the first feelings of accomplishment and independence that they've had since finding themselves on their own. So those are the pinch me moments for me. So I really hope that I can now give back. I'm crying too. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'm crying too because Mads and I, have been through it all together. Like, yeah, I remember when Mads went and moved into her unit after you were with your partner and I, remember, I didn't have Seb then. And, yeah, you, like you said, you went from living in this, you know, beautiful big house with your partner and your son, um, son <laughs> your daughter, not that I know of, <laughs> with your daughter and 
I remember that first night that Maddie stayed in her new apartment with her daughter and that feeling that we all have when we, a lot of us are probably downsizing to like a smaller house and you just think, how are we here? And it's similar, like very similar to what I was talking about in my episode that we've had all of these beautiful luxuries and these support and knowing that everything was going to be okay to then it not being okay. And I remember stopping and getting a bunch of flowers. I don't even know if you remember this. And um, I remember bringing it to you and I don't remember, I don't know if Marla was there. She must have been. And I remember just saying, like, we're in this together. Yeah. And, oh, <laughs> and I just remember saying, we're in this together. And we have been, like, we've gone through babies and separations and, like, to see how successful you are. And honestly, like like you said, you didn't have it. You worked so hard. Maddie is literally the hardest working person I know. And she's what I really admire about her is that she is a doer. Rachel and I talk about this a lot with big dreamers. And sometimes it, it is really hard to kind of have those dreams and put them into reality, but you really do. So you should oh, feel thank you. so proud of yourself for what you've created and what you've built genuinely on your own. So Well, I um, wasn't on my own. I, I had a lot of support, including yourself. So <laughs> when we all bond together and we support each other as women, you do, you get through it. And and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah. I, I found that light. Um, and I know everyone else will too one day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I just think you're amazing. But let's get into all the questions. It's just all of us crying, you know? <laughs> but like, like homes are really emotional. Like my brother's a real estate agent and I went to an auction last week and there was three people crying that didn't get the house. And after I started, like I was just kind of debriefing with my brother and I was like, God, homes, like they're the biggest things in our lives, like, mm-hmm. you know, that we could own. and they are really emotional. So yeah, yeah, I get it. This is going to, I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people when it's. Especially as a parent, you want to be able to provide that, that safe place for your kids. And, you know, sometimes it feels a little bit out of reach when you're on your own. So hopefully. I think for a single parent, it sort of gives you like a sense of safety and security. I think Uh, And I remember this about a house being a big deal. My parents separated when I was in year 12 and I think I was more devastated about losing that house because it signified family and leaving that meant, of course, my family was separating anyway, but I was losing that sense of safety and security and home and, you know, you're already feeling uprooted and whatever when you're separating and then to lose that you know, 100%. I actually had a similar, my parents didn't separate. They literally just decided to downsize because they're getting older and yeah. I was angry at them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, was family home. Yeah. I was angry too. Yeah. It represents memories. It re- represents so much more than that. And yeah. I, I've said, said this a lot that I grew up, my mum was a single mum and her dream, all she wanted to do was to, to have a house for, for Kane and I. And she didn't, get one until we were older and moved out she just couldn't do it on her own so she met before she was with her husband for I don't even know now 15 years so they bought one when I had just moved out but I think maybe that's why it's so important to me too because honestly I grew up just thinking I want to have a family and I want to have a beautiful house yeah and it meant so much to me because we never had it we would talk about it as teenagers and just go that's that's all we wanted yeah you know and it is always the great Australian dream to have a yeah. home. Um, and funnily enough, you probably don't remember, but one of my first loans was refinancing your mum's. Oh, oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. So yeah. That was one of your first. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh. So she, uh, yeah, started you off. She did. Nice. Okay, so let's get started with the actual nitty-gritty of the questions. So obviously our community, they're going to be at all different stages, so we're going to kind of cover everything. But the first thing we'll look at, I guess, is if people think they might be in a position, if they've maybe sold a house as a family together, they've got a bit of savings with their child support and everything, their income's okay. What are kind of the first steps that you would recommend someone to do to start looking at maybe purchasing a property? Okay. First things first, there are there are lots of things that you can get, um, you can plan for and get sorted, which I'll get into. But first thing is to touch base with a broker. And I will touch on why a broker and not directly to your bank later, but speaking to a broker, understanding what, what sort of income you can use at the moment, whether that hits your goals now or whether, you know, you can start planning that in three to six months' time we can then hit that goal have that planning meeting. I have them on my website, 15-minute telephone appointment or a 30-minute telephone appointment, and just put a plan in place, like get an understanding of where you're at. If you're ready to go, get pre-approved. Be be ready to um, be in a position where you have negotiating and buying power. Yeah, so that would be your very first step. What's the benefit of being pre-approved if you're going to look at homes? Yeah, so it gives you an idea of how much you can actually spend, um, what your borrowing capacity is instead of, you know, maybe finding this dream home that isn't quite realistic. Also just, you know, if there are going to be any complications throughout the lending process, you know, we can pick up up on those early um, before you actually go looking. Most agents these days in, and I know this across all states, um, they they don't really consider offers if if you're not pre-approved. So just be really organised, be taken seriously get your pre-approval. Yeah. And even for personally, for me, you, like you said, you can have, I obviously was chatting with Maddie lots about, you know, what I could afford. I kind of had a ballpark and knew, but until you have those pre-approved dogs, like most houses are in the market for two weeks these days. Oh, that's right. You know, so you've got to be ready. Like if you don't have that pre-approval, it's you, you're going to miss out anyway. So yeah. it's kind of a no-brainer. That's right. That's right. So that would that would certainly be my first step. I'll be speaking to a broker. And yeah. sorry, my questions might be dumb as because I know nothing about this. <laughs> That's a good. broker, are they going to tell you what you can afford or do you have to have yeah. an idea? Yeah, no, no, you don't need to. You start from scratch. So the questions that I would ask you is what are you doing for work? How many dependents do you have? What type of liabilities do you have? So just being across, you know, what the credit limits are, maybe on credit cards or what's outstanding on a car loan um, or if you've got a hex debt, what your balance is. So probably just getting prepared for those type of questions, um, you know, and then we can lead into family tax A and B. We can use that as income. And so just being across you know, your your financial situation before we have that phone call because they're the type of questions that I will I will be asking. Yeah. So say someone's booked, yeah, a 15-minute discovery call. You're asking finances and whatnot. Once you I know that you then send an email, you officially fill all those out. How much you spend on like I remember it's like how much you spend on groceries, how much you spend on your exercise, your, your subscriptions and whatnot. I send all of that back to you and then what happens? So once you get that back to me, I'm going to assess your lending capacity across multiple lenders. So we've got access to, you know, over 40 different lenders, if not more. And we will, we will, every single lender has a different policy. So that's something really, that's really important to remember. 
when you're thinking of walking directly into a bank, you really are pigeonholing yourself. Yeah. So make sure that, you know, I'll, I'll run numbers across all different lenders. For instance, some people may, you know, you might receive a lot of overtime, you might work in emergency services and there's a lot of allowances and overtime. Most lenders will shade that to 80% and only accept 80% of that income, whereas there are certain policies that we can use 100% of that income. So yeah. that's what brokers know. Yeah. Brokers know how to manipulate to try and achieve the best outcome for you. We work for you, not for the bank. Yeah. So it's, it's really important when you're talking single parents to speak to a broker because there are things like family tax A and B benefits, obviously child support payments that we can use. There's there's um, schemes that you can mm. um, apply for, which we'll go into a little bit yeah, more detail. Sure. So if someone's got, I know that you told me with child support payments, are you able to just explain if people are receiving them what it kind of needs to look like, yeah. look like to be accounted for? Absolutely. So, look, it's it's really important from a lending perspective. Most lenders want to see that you have your child support payments registered with Child Support Australia. Unless there is a family court order in place with a, a payment arrangement through that court order, most lenders want to see that it's registered with child support and it's consistent. So they want to see at least three to six months of regular payment history three months is the minimum. Yeah. So you can't really come to me and show me, oh, well, he paid a couple of, he he or she paid a couple of weeks here and then they missed a few and they don't, lenders don't like to see that. So they also want to know that you're going to receive the child support at least for the next five years. Okay. So Mm -hmm. the the child needs to be 13 or if, if the child's older than 13, generally that income won't be added back. Okay, because they're not going to receive it for the next five years. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So does that mean that if it is privately, you ju- you guys just organise it between yourselves, they're not going to look at that? No, that's okay. correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting to know that if anyone's listening and they're doing doing it privately, that if you are looking at trying to get a loan, because privately, if you can trust your ex in their trip, Paying it, it's a lot easier than having it. It is. It's it's a hell of a lot easier. But when it comes down to lending, they want solid proof yeah. that it's going to be continual, that it's not just, you know, something you've arranged now. Because, you know, as as we all know, I'm not sure about you, Rach, but things change um, and the goalposts do move and banks are fully aware of that. Yeah. So let's, um, yeah, they, they want it registered with Child Support Australia. So they'll determine from the taxable incomes, from the tax yeah. returns that are lodged, what the, what the repayments are to be from each party. For, for at least three months, you said. Yeah. Okay. That's a minimum. Cool. That's good to know. Um, yeah. Family tax A and B. Yeah. Um, so we can use family tax A and B, very similar as well. The children need to be generally under the age of 13 or, yeah, it, it, like I said, it, it does vary between multiple lenders. It's it's usually about 12 or 13 and they'll use it. So you might have one child that's 14 and one child that's eight. We can use it for the eight-year-old or portion some of it to the eight-year-old, but we can't use it for the, for the yeah. 14-year-old. Okay. So you must be entitled to uh, receive it for the next five years. Yep. Some lenders will allow a little bit of a higher age, but like I said, I'm, I'm kind of, this is very general yes. yep. today, but um, I'm probably more so, I'm giving recommendations based on the majority of lenders 
Yes, yeah, of course. There are certain situations where we can bend the rules slightly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, as we would have said at the beginning as well, that these are just going to be such a blanket general advice. If you have all of the questions, then that's where you can book a call with Maddie and just have a chat because they're going to be very different. But yeah, yeah I think every scenario is going to be so different. Yeah. But I'll, I'll try and assist in any way I can. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you mentioned this to me and I didn't understand this, but so then going on things like different schemes, single parent scheme, you mentioned to me something about refinancing or releasing equity or taking over a loan. Yeah, yeah. So uh, depending on your situation, you um, might be wanting to take over the, the family home that you're currently living in. It might be that you're you know, trying to negotiate paying out your ex for his portion of the equity. And so a lot of the time we're, we're doing refinances for, for single parents who then release additional equity to as part of the financial separation and settlement. Um, so that's that's also quite common. The other the other ways that we're we're seeing a lot of single parents on generally on a bit of a lower income apply under the um, the home guarantee scheme, which is the family home guarantee that allows you to get into the market with a two percent deposit. Mm-hmm. Generally, if you're ever lending above 80% of the purchase price, you start entering lender's mortgage insurance territory, which is like an insurance, it's a risk fee, an insurance that the lender takes out to protect them because essentially you're a higher risk, you don't have savings. But under this family home scheme, you can purchase a property with just a 2% deposit. Your income can't exceed 125000 um, from the previous financial year. So generally, if you just got off your notice of assessment, you'll be able to check that. You do need to be a single parent. You can't be applying as a couple. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good way to get in. There are property price caps under that scheme. So for instance, New South Wales is 900000 Victoria 800000 Queensland 700000 WA, SA and Tasmania 600000 So there, there are property price caps. So if you're wanting to buy something that exceeds that price cap, you will not be eligible. But that's a fantastic way if you've got a low deposit to get in. Yeah. So if you're looking at, so say you're looking at a $500,000 house and a 2% deposit, so that's obviously $10,000 and you don't have to pay lenders mortgage insurance. That's right. Is that right? Yep. $10,000. Did I do my math right? No. 2%. 10% would be. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh. I was like, oh, you I see- literally use calculators. <laughs> I used to be good at math, though, so $10,000. Yeah, right. yeah. If you were applying on the first homeowner's scheme, are the banks a bit more flexible? Like, we, we, or is it kind of the same process with borrowing? and? Yeah, so under the scheme, it's the same process with the lender as a normal application. It's just that you don't get charged LMI and you can have the lower deposit. Right. So under the scheme, not every lender has a place available on the scheme. Uh, Another reason why I say to you, go to a broker. So the broker will know exactly who, what lender has places available, who's a part of the scheme. So, um, yes. Great. That's really great to know. And um, obviously, you said they have to be a single parent. What if they're like in a relationship with someone else? They're buying their house on their own. Like, is that something they're looking into or? Technically, it says a parent or a legal guardian is... Uh, not single if they are married or in a de facto relationship. 
Mm-hmm. So you can't be in a de facto relationship. Okay. But de, fa- de facto, I think if you were to search Probably it, longer you know, to be living together, yeah, yep. which is so, you know, if you've just got a new fling on the side, so good. <laughs> if, if you're just <laughs> winking at people at cafes, Rachel, you're good. We have this. I was going to say something else, but I won't. We have this joke in one of our first episodes that Rachel is in her, well, she's dating someone now, but she was in the stage of like when she opens, she was saying she like gets stressed for the day when she was like looking to date someone new. That she was just putting it in her mindset that it was like, no, I'm open and I'm available. And I, jo- I joked that she was winking at everyone at cafes. How <laughs> tell people you're single, you know? <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's really good to know. Any other schemes that we could be? Uh, scheme, probably not. Uh, there's there's also a friend scheme. So, well, I call it the friend scheme. But <laughs> essentially it's, it's called the first home guarantee scheme, which used to, it used to just be open to a couple. But now it's opened up that you can buy a house with a friend as wow. long as you're both first home buyers. And so I, I have ran a scenario before where there was um, two friends living together and they were paying, I think they were paying like $800 a week in rent or something. And then we worked out that if they, I think they bought a $500,000 property and their repayments on their mortgage were actually less than what they were paying in rent anyway. So it's it's not always obviously a long-term solution to live with your friend, yeah. um, but it's also a really good opportunity to buy an invest, a future investment property. Mm-hmm. So it does need to be for owner-occupied purposes under this scheme. Which but, means you need to live in it. Some people don't know that. Sorry, yes. Owner-occupied, yeah. Um, yeah, it means you need to live in it. But you can buy with a friend with just a 5% deposit as long as you are both first home buyers. Yeah. So, and then, you know, some people can go on to, you know, buy their dream forever home but have this property as an investment that may pay for itself, mm-hmm. you know. You know so- my actual dream, and I've I've tried to hit people up a few times, but like <laughs> a single mum commune vibes, but imagine two single parents doing it together and could support each other doing, during, you know, the first couple of years that might be crazy. I'm sure there's some some added complexities to it, but that's so good to know that that's a possibility. Yes, oh, absolutely. Like, imagine if we were still, like, Maddie and I would. Like, totally yeah, would. babysitters. I know. Yeah. I mean, we're purchasing a house together. Obviously, the friends scheme, I was about to say here, if there are any single mums that need to buy a house, but obviously you need to, you trust them. I'm sure there's lots of buying. Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, you know, I don't think you're going to enter something like that with someone you, you don't completely trust, but. Yes, there there actually aren't any requirements for the friendship to <laughs> to meet. It's just um, it will go back to the combined income, and it, and also yeah, you need to have a five percent deposit. You need to be an Australian citizen or a permanent resident, and obviously at least eighteen years of age. Owner occupier. How long do you need to own own? And oh, that was hard for me to say. Yeah. Own an occupier. <laughs> how yeah. long do you know? How long to kind of do that? Is it twelve months? I think it's six, and you've put me on the spot here. I'll double check that. That's okay. But I think from memory you need to live in it for at least six months. So it's not that long in the scheme of things. Like if you're really trying to get into the market and you can do it that way, you know, you're looking at a six to 12 month and then. Well, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And guarantor loans. Guarantor loans. These are what I call your golden ticket. So if you have a, a family member, doesn't need to be your parents. It can be a grandparent, uncle, auntie. Might Sugar be, daddy. Might be a brother. <laughs> <laughs> that wants to be your guarantor 
that essentially can get you into the market without having any deposit saved at all. So let's just run a scenario. You wanted to buy a $500,000 property. You know, you had no savings. You could afford to repay the loan. What you can do is secure the 20%, what ordinarily would be the 20% deposit. You can secure that against the equity in your family's property. Now, they don't technically need to, they don't need to be able to service the loan. The parents don't need to come up with any cash physically. The lender that we would choose would simply just hold an interest in that capped amount. You can also secure having a guarantor loan, the stamp duty and the fees and charges against the loan too. Yeah. So that's, yeah, if you if you have a guarantor, like I'd, I would definitely encourage you guys to, to speak to family members um, and, and see if it's a possibility because that's a, you know, it's a straight in. Huge. Yeah. Does yeah. that make sense, Rach? Because obviously I know how it works. Do you understand that? Yeah. I don't know if I've got anybody, but I'll start thinking. <laughs> no, but it's, yeah, it's essentially, and I guess a lot of the questions would be, okay, if you couldn't service the loan, yeah, what, what happens? Say you've got a $500,000 loan. How much did you say is secured against? 20%. So it'll be $100,000 is the 20%. Yeah. And if you need to secure the stamp duty fees and charges, like for instance, in South Australia, that's about $28,000. So you'd need to secure. A, sorry to interrupt you, on a $500,000 property. Yeah. It goes by the purchase price. It does. Yeah. yeah. So um, if you were to secure um, that against the guarantor loan too, it would be about $128,000 that we would need to use in equity yeah. against your family's property. And I guess yeah. what are the risks? Because obviously, yeah, someone yeah. can't service it. And I know what some people's fears might be to be a guarantor. Yes. The risks are you can't pay it. I mean, what are the solutions? Do you sell it? Do you you obviously don't want to put your family at risk? Good question. Rach, let's just say you came to me, you bought a five hundred thousand dollar property. We secured 128 grand against your your parents' property. Now, let's just say, Rach, you did a runner and you decided to Please. go to the Maldives and <laughs> live it up. Live it up. And you stopped paying your your loan. That's when the lender will um, ultimately sell your property. So you bought this property for 500000 Let's just say the lender sold it for 450000 They didn't recover how much you bought it for. Now, there's a $50,000 shortfall there. So they're going to then go knocking at the guarantor's door and go, hey, you guaranteed 128 grand out of that 128, I need 50. Okay, so they have to come up with those funds or yeah. use equity in their property or they need to recover that amount. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's worth To the Maldives. Well, Rachel and Lenny are working on the tans. Yeah. I guess that's what people's concern is, right? I mean, you'd want to be in a bit of a stable workplace and feel really secure in your situation. Well, I do also find a lot of guarantors, you know, once I actually do have the conversation with me, realise, look, you know, depending on their children, I guess, it's actually not as big a risk as what they first initially thought. So, you know, like some people think they have to physically come up with the cash or they have to be, make repayments on the loan. There are a lot of misconceived, yeah. preconceived ideas. Yeah. But also looking, this is not a good way to look at it. Don't look at it this way. But you're buying a $500,000 house in two years, like it's gone up in equity. Well, that's right. Like it's very rare that they wouldn't be able to sell it for what you bought it for. That's right. And, and that probably goes into then 
okay, the guarantor isn't actually a guarantor for the life of the loan. Yeah. Okay. So um, you can never really put a time frame on how long a guarantor will will be on the loan for because it depends on how the market trends. You know, mm-hmm. if property prices continue to rise and, you know, you're paying down your loan really aggressively and, you know, you could get rid of your guarantor in two years. Yeah. You, yeah. Basically, you need to have 20% equity in your property before you can have your guarantor removed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually had a girlfriend in northern New South Wales. I think it was a year they added some value Amazing. to the house and they got the guarantors off just because the prices had skyrocketed so much. So Yeah. Mm, yeah, mm. absolutely. Okay, awesome. Now, ways of maximising your borrowing capacity Yeah, for what you would look at. Yeah, so um, things that impact your borrowing capacity are credit limits car loans, personal loans. So many people say, oh, I've got a credit card, it's got a $20,000 limit, but I don't use it, so it's all good. Oh, I've got really good repayment history. And so the lender doesn't, like obviously they they care that you've been making your repayments um, on time, but they will assume that you can spend that credit limit. So it does heavily impact your borrowing capacity. So if you do have a $20,000 credit limit and you don't need it, we may recommend, oh, look, let's, for the sake of the application, let's reduce it to 5000 or let's close it. So many people say, oh, I've just got it there for, you know, when I travel or, mm-hmm. and, and they're fine, they close it and it increases their borrowing capacity, it jumps, it and, jumps quite a lot. And once you get a loan, once all the docs have signed, you can go and get another credit card, right? I'm not recommending that, Jess, but yes, <laughs> you can. <laughs> but, but as in, I don't have a credit card, but I have said that a luna for rainy rainy days and the way that my work goes ebbs and flows like i would like to have a five thousand dollar credit card or something that i can use for emergencies i'm not going to do it now wait I'm, wait until the uh construction yes yeah, <laughs> building loan but yes you, you just really want to be as polished as you can be yeah yeah well um, ways to increase your borrowing capacity will be to reduce those limits or you know like if you're thinking about buying a car at the same time as buying a house what you know and taking out a loan for that car wait until you've got the house mm-hmm. like you know car loans are pretty easy to come about home loans aren't yeah can you give us some of those numbers i know you might not know exactly but some of those credit card numbers that say you've got a ten thousand dollar limit how much will that reduce your borrowing capacity yeah okay i'll punch through some and how much does your hex debt impact i just would have assumed not much because i don't really like it paying depends, it, but- yeah your hex, your hex debt really does depend on your income. So, like, if your income's really low and and your repayments haven't kicked in, it doesn't really impact the loan. But once once your hex debt, like your income, is at a level where you're making repayments on the hex debt, the lender will um, determine the repayment, even if it's less that's coming out in your payslips. They will still determine how much you need to allocate towards hex, so that will reduce your borrowing capacity. But just going back to like, let's just say you're a single mum, you've got two kids, you you know your total income combined is say ninety thousand dollars. If you've got a, a credit card limit of fifteen thousand dollars, if we were to close that, sorry, I'm literally doing it now. That changes things by about. If we were to close that credit card limit, it, it increases your borrowing capacity by about eighty thousand dollars. Wow! So yeah, fifteen. That wow. Yeah, 
obviously it, it varies, like, you know, even if we were to just change it to five $5,000 limit, yeah, it's about 40 grand there wow. in additional income. So it really does, it really does impact um, your borrowing capacity. So yeah, like I said, ways to maximize your borrowing capacity. Don't take out any additional loans before you're about to buy the house. If you do have loans, that's fine. We will assess your borrowing capacity. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it, and that's just fine. You just have to realize that you may not um, be able to borrow as much as what you, you yeah. first thought. Yeah. Cool. We've got. I guess I feel like we could talk to you for hours, but we might pull the pants off of people. We've got some sort of like quick fire questions. Yeah. So the first one, so I'm a sole trader. So how does that differ for someone that's potentially an employee? And I know it's, is it a myth that you've got to have your business for two full years to count? Or yeah, do things look different if you're a sole trader or is it similar sort of methods? Yeah. So generally two full years is preferable if you're wanting to open yourself up to a whole heap of lenders. There is a way to get in not having the two full financial years tax returns. There are some low doc lending options, um, and and what that entails is we can we can show that you can service the loan by maybe two recent BAS. Um, you might have an accountant that's willing to sign off to say that you can afford the repayments on you know X amount of loan. You might um, that so that there are certain ways that you can get in. It is a bit of a myth, but however. Like I said, go to a broker because if you if you walked into CBA or or to Westpac, they they're not going to look at it without your two years. But look, it's it's not. There's a lot of people out there that go, oh, I'm self employed. You know, it's, it's harder to get a loan, and that's that's not always the case. As long as you've got someone that understands the financials and understands things that you can add back and depreciate, then you know we we can certainly help anyone. And I guess the other question is, because obviously if you're a sole trader, your income can sometimes, you know, for me, it looks different every month. Are they looking yeah. for that consistency or are they saying, okay, annually you tend to end yeah. up with this amount and so that's good enough for us kind of thing? Yeah, good question. Um, so they they can generally, most lenders will, they will determine your income over two two years so they'll they'll find the average. There are some policies that will allow you to isolate. So let's just say in the 2022 financial year rate, you started up. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of expenses starting up the business and so your income wasn't very high. But then in the 23 financial year, it was quite strong because that was a true year reflecting what the business is doing. So there are some policies where we can just isolate and just get them to look at the 23 financial year. Once again, really important that yeah. you see a broker. Yeah. Okay. A lot of our community, you know, potentially maybe just starting out with a unit or something very small. Yeah. Say you were going for like a minimum. I don't even know if you can get a unit for 250, 300,000, depending on where you're living. But let's just go with maybe like 250, 300. Yeah. Kind of what does the bank want to see annually to say, let's borrow that whole amount, 300? Yeah. yeah. So, oh God. I mean, obviously, lending capacity varies across so many different lenders. But on average, let's just say you're a single mum with two kids, about $80,000 will get you between 250 and 300. Okay. That's with no liabilities. That's just a straight, you know, clean application. And do you know roughly, actually, let's do a couple of amounts because I think this will be useful for people. 
let's actually do a scenario of maybe cost breakdowns of repayments, actually repayments, because that's what it comes down to. Like, can we afford to pay exactly. this mortgage? Yeah. Story of my life. Okay, let's start with 400K loan. How much are you looking at? If you're borrowing the whole 400, what's your monthly repayments? Monthly repayments at the mo- moment, or base it on an interest rate of about 6%, which, you know, we can get a better rate than that, but give yourself a bit of a buffer as well. So you're looking at about $2,399 a month yeah. for a $400,000 loan. Now so that's over that? a loan term of 30 years. 600 bucks a week. Yeah. Yeah. So that like... That's rent. Right. What are you paying for? Yeah. Paying that's, I pay almost 600 a week and I have for the last three years. So, and that's always been my challenge is that because I pay a lot in rent, I do struggle with the deposit. So yeah, like, for someone like that, and I know most people are probably maxing out for rent because they want to be comfortable. They want to feel safe. Do yeah. they look at that as if I've paid that amount for three years, do they take that into account when looking at? Yeah. So if we don't have proof of genuine savings, um, like let's just say you're gifted your deposit from family. Um, most lenders want to see that you've genuinely saved 5%, but maybe we can go, look, we've got six months or, or 12 months of rental ledgers here showing that I've consistently paid $600 every week mm-hmm. to towards my rent. So there's my genuine savings. So in so it doesn't um, mitigate the fact that you still need to have cash to contribute in some situations, but yes, having a good rental ledger history will certainly um, support some applications. That's great to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. But that's, sorry, you're talking about no cash deposit. That's like if you didn't have a guarantor or. No, yeah. So look, if you're, let's just say you're buying a house for, God, we're using the 500,000 a lot, but I'll just. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you bought a house for 500, your parents have gifted you the full 20%, okay, plus your stamp duty. That's. You just need to sometimes show that you have like genuinely saved 5%. Okay. Um, so it might be that we go, oh, look, they've been renting for six months. Here's the ledger. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. Let's just go through some amounts because I think that's useful. Okay. Repayments on a $500,000 loan. 2000 oh, we might round it up. 2000 Um, It's $2,998 to be precise. But, yeah, yeah look, 3000 a month. Yeah. On a $600,000 loan, you'd be looking at $3,597. On a $700,000 loan, you're looking at $4,197. And on an $800,000 loan, $4,796 a month. Yeah. So you're kind of varying anywhere between that from, you know, if you're going from 400000 to eight hundred, you're kind of varying between that $600 to $1,100 mark a week. Well, it pretty much doubles, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I mean, I live in Melbourne. Adelaide definitely was always different when I lived there, but there's not a lot. If you if you need to live close to a city, you'd be, you'd be struggling to pay less than 500 a week. So yeah, yeah. Could you? Us, we're already paying that. It's just finding that way in. Mm. Is is there units available for around 500,000 in Melbourne? So literally where I live, the problem is I, I love where I live. I've looked at apartments, which to be honest, if I was ever to buy, I don't know if I'd want to do that, but they're like $700,000. Yeah, okay. I know. Yeah, I know. But I think, I think also really like investment properties. I mean, I know it was like you said, owner occupy for a little bit, but you know, some kind of investment property. Anyway, that's a whole another conversation. Yeah. yeah. 
So I guess following that, you know, what do you say to people who do feel genuinely deflated by the current house prices? Because for some of us, we're listening to this saying, this sounds great, but like, what the fuck? I don't live. Yeah. That's just not even a, a thing, you know? Is it changing? I get, I get like- it a lot. Like it's even just with people coming to refinance, coming off a fixed rate and it's, you know, that their repayments have almost doubled since they yeah. fixed it, you know, before COVID. Mm. But look, unfortunately it is what it is like I you know there's not a lot that I can do with the cost of housing it is relative everyone's in the same boat whether you're you know you might be selling a $800,000 property that has no mortgage on it but you still have to get back into the market at this rate so everyone is feeling it everyone's in the same boat you know I, I guess there's there's just not a lot that I can do to make it better yeah. Are there any ways, I guess this would be useful, right? Like if you were saying like if you're in a position where you're nowhere near it, what are some of the things maybe for the next two years you would give advice on? I know you're not a financial advisor, so I know that you can't give, give proper advice. financial yep. advice, but what are some of the things from a broker's perspective that you might go, you know, this is Get your ducks in a row. Reducing your, le- your credit limits, getting closing your afterpay, Closing zip pay, that shows up on your credit report, you know, making sure that you're meeting your repayments on time. So, like, if you do have a credit card, make the minimum repayment each month. A lot of lenders now are running off credit reports. So, they're checking you. You can see your repayment history on utility bills, things like that. So, it's important now that you are, you know, you're budgeting to make sure you can meet your your, your bills that's, that's what they're checking. Sometimes they're not asking for proof of um, statements anymore. They're just running off your credit report. So just, yeah, making sure that you're paying your bills on time, you're not taking out any additional debt, you're showing that you can regularly put a little bit of money away. You know, it might be 50 bucks a week, but just, just a little bit of consistency. And obviously your living expenses, you know, trying to work towards as if you had a mortgage. Like what your spending might look like, and practice it. Like, and it's not even for the lender's sake; it's for your sake. Like, you know, absolutely. Okay, finally, which we always kind of finish with at the end of a chat. If you could give any advice to a mum in general, not just not about mortgage, just in general, a single mum that might be a fresh single mum, something that you could maybe tell your younger self, what would it be? Well, what I did tell myself was. Be a role model for your daughter or for, well, this is what I told myself, be a role model for your daughter, make decisions that you'd be proud of and go hard. Yeah. Simple as that. You've got it. You can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, being a role model for sure for your kids because I think we sometimes, we all forget about it, especially when we're going through really hard breakdowns of relationships. Yeah. And it's, I think that's amazing advice to just remember that you're always a role model for your little people with you. And and look, there's certainly been things that I'm not proud of that, you know, the way I've handled myself and certain, because, you know, emotions take over. Like you, and you are extremely emotional when it comes to your kids. And, but it's just always making sure tomorrow's a new day, pick back up, be that better person, be that role model and and to let go i think you guys put something on instagram about letting go of the anger because it's only you that holds on to the anger and you have to live in that space just you know just 
forgive mm-hmm. and 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 you just be so much happier for it. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you guys don't know like Mads has had a very, very colourful co-parenting experience and we don't need to go into that. But I think sometimes we listen to these conversations and we think that we've always, like we're always kind of, saying such positive things and it's like oh well you know it worked out really well for them and it worked out really well and they're doing great and whatnot like I know Mads' situation like I said we don't need to go into the crux of it but you really are rising above and yeah really- and just but yeah I think sorry to cut you off no. but yeah like I mean like I said I'm, I'm certainly not proud of things that have happened in the past or you know things that I've I've said um in the heat of the moment but at the end of the day as long as you're you just be a good person, you know, do your best with your kids, you know, provide provide that um support for them and and have their back 24-7. Yeah. That's all I've ever tried to do. Every every decision I've ever made is for the for the better of of Myla. Um and whether that's upset people along the way, well, yeah, it has. <laughs> but, um you know, hopefully in time everything will will all be better. And um yes, it there certainly wasn't sunshine and, and roses <laughs> or but um the the whole way along, but it's time heals. Yeah. And I think it's just really inspiring for other people to see that like, yeah, things aren't easy and you've created this life and this business and this brand for yourself. And I think that's just gonna be really aspirational for so many mums listening. Oh good. Including good. myself. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> So thank you so much for chatting. Thanks for having me, girls. Thanks so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mothering On My Own. If you'd like to connect with us further, please follow our Instagram at motheringonmyown.podcast.